this really reverses a recent trend where we've seen slower growth in manufacturing and is good news as far as manufacturers are concerned. We had 14 of 18 industries reporting growth during the, the month of October. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Today's Tuesday, November 2nd, and that was Norbert Orr, chair of the ISM Manufacturing Survey you heard at the top. On today's show, we're going to step back and take a big picture look at something that affects everything from how often people go out to eat to whether cities can afford to pay school teachers. And by the way, that thing also wrecked global financial markets a few years back and may be the very thing that will bring those markets back to health. But first, of course, the Planet Money Indicator. Let's call in our Planet Money Indicator specialist. Oh, wait, you're co-hosting the podcast, Jacob Julius Goldstein. Take it away. Today's Planet Money Indicator... A lot. It could be $500 billion, could be a trillion dollars, could be $100 billion here or $100 billion a few months down the road. We won't know until tomorrow. That's when the Federal Reserve puts out its big policy statement. But the broad outlines are pretty clear. The Fed's about to create a lot of money out of thin air, and it's going to use that money to buy long-term treasury bonds. The basic idea is to drive down interest rates, which is supposed to get people to invest money, and it's supposed to get businesses to borrow more money and ultimately hire more people. So we live in this crazy time when these numbers like $100 billion or a $1 trillion get thrown around, and it's not even like, oh, my God, anymore. It's like, all right, okay, it's the Fed's next trillion-dollar program. But this thing that the Fed's going to announce tomorrow, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. It is a huge big deal. It is an experiment. It is probably, I would guess, the most expensive financial experiment in human history. Does that uh, yeah, that except, I mean, you know, they've, they've tried this thing one time before, so maybe it's the second most mm-hmm. expensive experiment. But the, the first time they tried it was just in the past few years. So we don't even know yet how that experiment has played out. And they're already rolling out experiment number two. Right. And this is the thing called quantitative easing. Alex and I did a radio story on Morning Edition about it a few weeks ago. And we are, I got to say, whether it works or not, this is an exciting thing for Planet Money because it's such a massive complicated, fascinating financial idea that is going to affect every part of our economy. We're going to follow it very closely over the coming months and years. But enough about the indicator, Adam. Let's <laughs> yes. get on with it. Let's get on with the show. Okay. So we've been covering the housing market a lot and primarily in the form of you, Jacob Goldstein, coming on with the indicator about how few homes were sold last month or what the backlog of homes are in the market. Basically, you come on every month and you use housing numbers to depress all of us. And rightly so. And rightly, and rightly so. so. You're walking around blithely optimistic saying, oh, I don't own a house. I'm totally out of this. No, you're not. I mean, look, housing is a huge deal. Whether you have a house or not, it led us into the crisis. We're not going to fully be back to normal until housing is back to normal. So what we realized is we really needed we needed and we felt our listeners need just a broad overview. Where are we in this housing crisis? What what chapter are we in? What's the future going to look like most likely? And the guy who immediately leaped to mind is a guy who studies the deep details of housing finance, but also for his job needs to apply those to a broader view of where the economy is going overall. That's Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics. 
We had this very big picture conversation with Mark, but we started out with the basics. Where are we right now in the whole arc of the housing crisis? Well, uh, the peak was uh, nearly five years ago, so we've been sliding for five years. Uh, my sense is we've got another year to go, uh, that uh, price, house prices will continue to weaken through this time next year. And how do you come up with that? You know, I, I wonder, I, I read these things, how, why not six months or why not two years? <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Good point. It's, it's my guesstimate. Um, the key statistic with respect to house prices is the share of home sales that are distressed, that are foreclosure and short sales. And uh, just doing some accounting, some math, uh, it, it seems to me that it's going to take about a year to work uh, largely through that that mountain of foreclosure. And why are foreclosures so much more important in understanding this than just regular old housing sales? Because uh, foreclosed property and uh, properties that are sold in a short sale are usually sold at a big discount to the market. Uh, In in the current period, it's about 30, 35% on a foreclosed property. So, and because there are so many properties in the market that are foreclosure sales, that drives down uh, uh, measured house prices and also uh, drives down prices in the non-distressed market because the foreclosed properties are competition. And uh, a couple quick definition things. A short sale, explain what that is. A short sale is where someone, a homeowner, sells their home uh, for a price that's less than the mortgage debt they owe on their home. And the uh, bank, the, the mortgage owner, uh, agrees to this. Uh, they realize that uh, there's no way this homeowner is going to be able to make good on their mortgage, so they're willing to allow the property to be sold at a, a lower price than the mortgage amount that's due. So it has the same impact in the market. There, these are homes being sold at steep discounts because a bank somewhere gave up on getting the bulk of the mortgage that that they had been promised. Is, is that? Yeah, that's correct. And all these distressed uh, sales are. Uh, are, are, play a very heavy, uh, have a very large impact on uh, overall house prices. It drives down housing values. Because obviously, if I'm, if I'm like, okay, I want a two-bedroom house in um, Skokie, Illinois, and the non-foreclosed ones are six hundred thousand, but the foreclosed ones are four hundred thousand, uh, I'm not going to pay six hundred thousand. The, the guy that, selling for six hundred thousand has to come down a little bit to equal the foreclosed sales. Exactly. And what's so key here is that uh, foreclosure short sales make up such a large part of the market. I mean, some parts of the country, the share is 50 percent, two-thirds, you know, places in Florida, Central Valley of California. So uh, in in some markets, uh, the majority of sales are distressed. But overall, how much of? Close to a third of of home sales currently are distressed. They're they're either foreclosure uh, sales or they are short sales. Wow. That's totally unprecedented, I have to assume, by many degrees, right? Yeah. I mean, the only period that might even come close would be in the early 1930s in the teeth of the Depression. But of course, we don't have very good data. But uh, if I would have, if there was another point in time, it would be then. Now, uh, Planet Money comes out of New York, which is a huge hindrance in covering housing because nobody on the Planet Money team owns their home because we live in New York. (laughs) And this all seems like some fictitious thing out there that people actually own homes. Um, How does this affect those people in the economy who are not in any way thinking of buying or selling a home? Explain why 
housing is so important in understanding where the overall economy is right now? Well, most people do own their own home. Uh, two, almost two-thirds of the population own their own home. Uh, and when house prices are falling, nothing really works all that well uh, in our economy. Those people who own a home are a lot less wealthy as a result, and that uh, affects their willingness and ability to go out and spend. And that, of course, goes to the broader health of the economy. So I'm a homeowner. If my house falls in value, I may be less interested in going out to a restaurant. And Even if I have no intention of selling for another decade, I still yeah, feel you, that. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think generally people are very attuned to their net worth, much more so than any time uh, in the past because uh, everyone's nest egg is so much smaller than it was. And the population is a lot older. I mean, the largest single year age group in the country is 50. So if you're 50 years old and uh, you're now worth a lot less, uh, and on top of that, uh, you're not so sure about uh, holding on to your job until you're 65 – and on top of that, you're worried about Social Security and uh, your medical care and everything else. You're going to be very, very attuned to your net worth. And if your net worth changes a little bit, you're going to change your behavior a lot. Well, the other link between the ho- uh, house prices and the broader economy that affects everyone, including renters, is it affects uh, uh, financial institutions. Um, uh, y- you know, most small business people, uh, when they want to get a loan, have to put up their home as collateral. Uh, and if your home is falling in value, no bank is going to give you a loan. And if you can't get a loan, you're not going to hire. And if you're not going to hire, then everyone's got a problem. And so uh, the weakening in housing values is uh, is everyone's problem. So just to think it through, so so housing prices are falling. So people directly can't take out equity lines of credit against their home, or they just feel poorer. They're more worried about their retirement. They're more worried about the future. But the end result is the same. They're not buying things they don't have to buy. They're buying fewer TV sets and SUVs or whatever it is, consumer goods. They're not going out to eat at restaurants. And as a result, those uh, companies are not hiring as many people. They're not uh, ordering as much stuff from factories who aren't hiring as many people, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's one one connection. Another connection is that because housing prices have fallen, and housing is one of the bedrock elements for credit in our society, both for personal credit, for small business credit, but also the big banks, because the overall value of housing has fallen, there's less credit available. And so whether it's going out and spending more money on your credit card or creating a new small business that's going to employ more people, or if it's a bank giving big loans to some factory to expand and and hire more people, credit is is tied up in these fallen housing prices. Less credit means less business, means less employment. So so there's two different channels that, that are really hurting the economy. Be- beautifully said. I mean, I'll give you a third. Uh, you know, many local governments, uh, and local governments are uh, the largest employer in our country, rely on property taxes. That's their main source of revenue. So if house prices... Uh, and commercial real estate values are falling, and both both are, uh, that uh, undermines uh, their tax revenue base. Uh, they have less money to uh, to employ people, to uh, fund programs, to, uh, to uh, pave roads. Uh, and in many cases, uh, they fall so short that they have to, they, you know, they're, they're looking for other revenue sources. Uh, and um, uh, all of that also is a very, very significant weight on our economy. Just take, take a look at the recent jobs data. 
the part of the economy that's losing the most jobs right now are state and, and primarily local government, and a lot of it goes back to the housing bust. And that means firing a lot of teachers, for example, firing road crews that might be improving roads, which makes me think we'll be paying the cost of this for, for decades to come with less educated people, with lousier roads that we'll have to fix at greater cost, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Police, fire, EMT, you know, all those services that many of us uh, rely on. I mean, they're, they're critical kind of jobs. Uh, we're, we're losing them uh, because uh, of, the, of the collapse in the housing market. Yeah. So, so if we're in this sort of cycle now where home prices have fallen and uh, all of these different channels in the economy are negatively affected as a result, I mean, that seems like this feedback loop that, that is hard to get out of. How, do, how does this end? How do we get out of this? Well, uh, I do think policymakers uh, deserve a lot of credit uh, for breaking uh, what was a very vicious uh, collapse in the housing market. In 08, it was literally straight down uh, into early 09. And uh, the various policy efforts uh, were very instrumental in uh, breaking uh, that uh, self-reinforcing negative uh, uh, loop. And, uh, and, house, and the housing market has it's, – it's not improved, but it, but it has stabilized. And I would like to talk about some of the things the policymakers did. Can we, can we start with the Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank? I mean, mm-hmm. I think people have been thinking a lot more about the Fed lately than, than they normally do. Uh, we've been hearing a lot more about the Fed lately. But I think we generally think of Fed as controlling interest rates and controlling the money supply. What do they have to do with housing? Well, they're playing a key role in keeping mortgage rates at record low levels. The Most people now get a, a fixed mortgage. The fixed mortgage rate of as of last week was 4.23%. That's 4.23%. And that's about as low as it's ever been. And that is due to a number of things. But the key factor is what the Federal Reserve has done and what financial markets anticipate that it will do uh, over the course of the next six months. And we did a podcast recently. The the Fed did something it had never done before. It spent $1.25 trillion directly buying mortgages, basically, mortgage-backed securities from the market. So that that's a, a direct intervention in the mortgage market. Can you explain the effect of that? Yes. So uh, in the uh, first round of uh, – what we might call quantitative or, or in some cases, credit easing. The Federal Reserve bought treasury securities, but mostly it bought mortgage securities. So it was, it was uh, working directly to bring down uh, mortgage rates, fixed mortgage rates. But how does buying an existing mortgage help the next guy get a cheaper mortgage? Well, uh, you know, you, investors uh, buy uh, the mortgage loans essentially f- through these securities. And if the Federal Reserve is in there buying these securities, it's, it's like an investor, and they're willing to pay up for it, then that drives down the interest rate that you and I, as potential home buyers, will have to pay. So they're, they're essentially uh, lending us the money at this very low interest rate. The Federal Reserve is directly lending to uh, home buyers uh, through the securities market. Which is crazy, right? I mean, that's just not something the Fed has ever even thought about doing before. No, it's completely outside the box. It, it, it's worked, though. I mean, it has brought down mortgage rates. As I said, there are record lows. I don't mean it's now, crazy it, judgmentally. I yeah. just mean it's unusual. Yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, qua- it's, it's really what? crazy. I mean, it's yeah. really you know, amazing what they've done. So now the Fed is buying 10-year U.S. government treasury bonds. Oh, we believe they're going to start very soon. 
Um, that's not directly buying mortgages, but but from what I understand, banks often tie their mortgage rates to those long-term treasury bonds. So it has the same effect of getting banks to offer people cheaper mortgages than they would otherwise. Is that is that yes, right? Yes, that, that's right. So now they're going to – or they've clearly signaled they're going to engage in uh, an effort to buy uh, a lot of uh, long-term treasury securities. And uh, uh, fixed mortgage rates are very closely tied to 10-year treasury yields. And uh, if you bring down 10-year treasury yields because the Fed's going to be buying a lot of those uh, treasury securities, you'll bring down fixed uh, fixed mortgage rates. And, you know, uh, markets are already anticipating this, uh, and that's why fixed mortgage rates are at record lows. Uh, the markets uh, fully expect the Fed to step up and, and buy these treasury securities. So, so <clears throat> you, you talked a little bit about the policy response. As part of this whole thing, uh, the government took Fannie and Freddie into conservatorship, and it greatly expanded uh, loans that are guaranteed by the FHA, basically mortgages where the government is ensuring uh, that uh, if people don't pay off, the, the government will make good on it. So what does all that mean for, for the extent to which we're on the hook? What does all that mean for how much taxpayers are on the hook, say, if the housing market goes, goes down sharply again? Well, Fannie and Freddie are going to cost us a bundle. I mean, of all of the policy efforts, uh, uh, stimulus, TARP, uh, bailouts, you know, everything you can uh, think of, Fannie and Freddie are going to be the most costly of, uh, of this. Uh, my, my sense is that it will probably cost us somewhere around $175 billion, the, the two of them together, when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, it's still – this is still a script being written, but I think that's a, a reasonable estimate. Uh, the other efforts, uh, what the Federal Reserve has done, what the FHA is doing, the housing tax credits, uh, the uh, loan modification efforts, the efforts to facilitate mortgage refinancing, you know, I can go on and on and on. The, the cost of that will, will be relatively small. In totem, I, I think we're talking, uh, you know, $20, 30000000000 I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't mean to say that it's not. But in the grand scheme of, of, of the things that we did uh, in this crisis, uh, that's a, a relatively small amount of money. Right. That's in the 0.1 percent of GDP. Now, all of this brings up a question people ask me, you know, relatives and friends quite often, which is, wait a second. We had a crisis brought about by way too many people getting home loans that they didn't – that they shouldn't have qualified for. And we're getting out of this crisis by the Federal Reserve and, and the government spending – trillions of dollars so that people who couldn't otherwise afford homes can afford homes? It, it, there is something counterintuitive about that. Well, uh, what the Federal Reserve and the government are doing is trying to ease the process of digesting all those bad loans that we made to uh, make uh, bring down interest rates, allow people to refinance, bring down their mortgage rates so that they can reduce their debt payments, uh, to, to, to ease this process. And those, it does help to support demand for homes and for cars and people who use their credit card for lots of different things uh, with these low interest rates. But that's the idea. Uh, I mean, that's, what we, that's how we get out of every recession. Uh, that's exactly what we do. We lower interest rates. It's just that in this particular great recession, the situation has been so dire that the Federal Reserve has had to resort to even more aggressive tactics to try to help do what they always do in recessions. So can can we go through uh, into the future? So 
just walk us through like a, a reasonable scenario, what you're predicting. So, so you said a year housing prices start stabilizing and even going up. Is that right? Yeah, I think a year from now we'll be through this uh, largely enough through this uh, foreclosure problem that house prices will start finding their footing, and certainly by 2012 we'll see some price growth. Yes. So what happens then? So, so housing prices start rising. Well, walk, walk it, us through. Yeah, I I think the next six, nine, twelve months are going to be somewhat uncomfortable. I mean, we we still have more work to do. We still have these problem loans to uh, to digest. Uh, people are still shell shocked. I mean, it was only a year and a half ago that major U.S. companies were evaporating before our eyes. You just don't forget that very quickly. So I don't think we're we're going to take off anytime soon. But you know, good things are happening. Um, we are reducing debt, uh, household. Debt is down about a trillion dollars over the last two years. Uh, businesses, big companies, and mid-sized companies are incredibly profitable. You know, all that job cutting, cost cutting they did is very painful, but their margins are wide, and you mix in a, a little bit of sales growth, and you get enormous profitability. And their balance sheets are very strong. They've reduced debt. They've been able to refinance and lock in these low rates. Um, so I, you know, I I think this economy is. Uh, is uh, fundamentally strong. I don't think an economy can produce six percent productivity growth, which is what we did over the uh, uh, during the recession. If you're if at your core something is fundamentally wrong, we, we messed up badly. Uh, the system that we had in place to originate loans was flawed, deeply flawed, and it cost us. Uh, it cost us wealth. It cost us eight million jobs. It cost us a ten percent unemployment rate. Uh, but uh, I think we figured that out. We're working through those problems, and again, fundamentally, we're fine. We can't we can't lose the sight of what makes our economy really tick, though, and that is uh, the, the the most educated population, the best infrastructure, and most importantly of all, that we continue to attract the best and brightest from all over the planet. Because as long as we can do that. We're going to be just fine, and we just need to get through the next nine, twelve months. And and I, I, I'm very confident that we will be off and running again. Wow, Jacob! I think for the first time ever, we've actually injected some optimism and happiness about the economy into a podcast. Uh, right, I'll, I'll resist my native impulse to see things in the worst possible light, just just for just for a minute. In fact, just for 9 to 12 months, because in a year or so, according to Mark Zandi, everything's going to be fine again. Kanahura. <laughs> yeah. Kanahura. <laughs> uh, all right. So you can tell us what you thought of today's podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash planetmoney. Or on our blog, npr.org slash money. Also, we really love getting emails as well at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Thanks for listening.